Our Bible reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, 1. Recall here from Mark chapters 11 through 16, you have the king coming to Jerusalem and it was crowned by a feast last week, but it's not the kind of king that they're expecting. He's the king who lays down his life. And by laying down his life, we see in chapters 15 and 16, he becomes our king and a feast follows. So it's a way of bringing all these chapters together. And we're in the midst of uh, Christ now being led to the Garden of Gethsemane. That'll be next week, Lord willing. But uh, really, they're, they're on a walk, a walk from, from uh, the, upper, the upper room from where they were in Jerusalem. And it's about a 20-minute walk to the Garden of Gethsemane, and a discussion occurs between uh, those two places. And that's what we read in verses 26 to 31. Let's hear God's word. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise. And our focus today is 27 and 28. I'll just read those once again. Um, We're going to deal with the fact that the shepherd gathers his scattered sheep. And we're going to see the scattering and the gathering. Verses 27, 28. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd. The sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised... I will go before you to Galilee. So, beloved in Christ, you know, one who's not a Christian, one who's not a believer, will sometimes attend a funeral of a Christian, and they're simply amazed. How is it that they can be singing? And how is it that they can sing so many songs? Even in the midst of all their tears, they see tears flowing from the eyes of close family members of the one that passed away, and they see it in their friends, and yet they hear through their quivering voices a song of hope, songs of comfort. Give an example. In Christ alone, there in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. 
Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. There is so much hope, so much comfort. And boy, that really brings perspective, doesn't it? Even in our world today with all the darkness. I mean, that the light just brings, bursts forth on the scene here in that song. And it's really the truth of scripture, right? The risen Christ. Now in verse 26, Jesus and his disciples, here's the connection. What have they done after celebrating the feast? They sing a hymn. They sing together. It's a beautiful way of expressing fellowship in our Lord Jesus Christ. They just enjoyed the blessing of a feast. But you know what's so strange here? What, is, what a strange thing to hear what Jesus is now saying after he sings this hymn with his disciples. Scatter. How did Jesus, how did the Lord Jesus Christ manage to bring himself to sing? Knowing all of this, knowing that he would be saying these very words to his closest disciples, ones who belong to him. If you ever have difficulty singing at a funeral, remember our Lord singing with his disciples as he walks step by step towards his death for your salvation. I mean, fully God, yes, but also fully man. And you can imagine all the emotions in the midst of his, the depths of his suffering. Was he singing it through the tears that were pouring out of his eyes as he saw these moments coming? But you know what? What, needs, what really stands out in verses 27, 28 is Jesus the shepherd. He really cares. He cares for his own. And you see that through his sacrificial death, and this is key, through his sacrificial death, he promises, okay, there's promises here, right? He will gather, right? But he promises to gather his scattered sheep. And we're going to see two things here in verse 27. His sheep will scatter, okay? That's their own fault. It's their own, they have no, really, ultimately, they have no excuse, Right? They're offended by Jesus. They scatter. And yet we see in verse 28, he will gather. Right, His sheep will scatter. He will gather his sheep. Let's look at those two points this morning as it comes from our text in verses 27 and 28. Again, you know, Jesus is leaving with his disciples. You can imagine the emotions, human emotions the depth, the agony he's already beginning to experience. He's walking where? Towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, 20-minute walk. And on the way, Jesus says to them, all of you, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this very night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You know, being the son of God, of course, he's thoroughly aware. He knows everything. He knows all the details. As a matter of fact, 
as king, he's the one in charge who is going to surrender himself into the hands of his betrayer, Judas. And now our question right away comes, what's going to become of this movement? Is it just another one of those movements with a leader in the center, the leader dies and the movement dies out? I mean, is this movement going to come to nothing now? Think back to those words in John 6 after Jesus gives his lesson on the bread of life. What do you read there? Many of his disciples went back and walked with Jesus no more. This is the opposite of church growth. They were offended by his message. They walked with him no more. And then Jesus, you can imagine the emotions in him as he turns to his disciples. Are you going to leave me now too? And now Jesus says to the 11, this is probably the, the, the Passover, which is a year later now. He says to the 11, all of you, all of you will be made to stumble. Why? Because of me. This night. One has already left. Who left? Judas Iscariot. I mean, Judas, he got to see what kind of Jesus, what kind of shepherd Jesus was. He said, no, that's not the leader for me. He's not showy. He doesn't belong to the culture of celebrities. He's not a man who draws the way that I want a man to draw. He's not flashy. He's not the kind of military leader I want against the Romans. He left. He left. And now Jesus says to the rest of them, all of you, you will fall away this very night. And notice what he says, you will be made to stumble. In other words, it's in passive tense. Something outside of you is going to cause you to stumble. Jesus is not saying that they will willfully, deliberately walk away from Jesus. They're not going to intentionally do so. But sometimes it happens, right? We just end up lapsing. We just end up falling. And you think, two years ago, I would have never intended this. It was not in my plan to do this. But it can happen so easily. You just lapse from from your relationship with Christ. You know, and here, it's not intentional again, but it comes from a weakness, their weaknesses, the weakness of sin, and their lack of courage to stand strong for Christ. Something else. Other factors will cause them to desert Jesus. They will be made to stumble. Why? Jesus says, because of me. Right? Not anything else. The word for stumble there means scandal. They'll be scandalized by Jesus. And that's enough that they're going to run away from him. They will be offended. Why? Because he's going to die. I mean, what kind of leader is that? What kind of shepherd is that? I mean, you want one that has a lot of pizzazz and glitz and show and one who's the center. You know, it's the kind of people you see today. So easily people put faith in a man. This leader is going to die. 
I mean, blood, death, suffering servant. He's not a glowing celebrity. Yes, Jesus affirms exactly what the Bible says about him. And he quotes Zechariah 13, verse 7. And there it is, he uses the words, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Here Jesus says, as God, he quotes God as saying, I will strike the shepherd. But there it's very clear, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. God himself, God himself will strike and kill the shepherd. So often people would say, oh, there's bad things happening to this leader. There must be something wrong with him. There must be something bad about this person. Well, here Christ is representing his sinful people. Isaiah 53 says, he's smitten by God, afflicted. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, in normal life, a shepherd, a shepherd looks after whom? The shepherd looks after sheep. And he's the focal point of the sheep. He feeds them, he tends them, he protects them, he cares for them. But if the shepherd dies, what happens to the sheep? They lost their rallying point, haven't they? And sheep, what happens to sheep? They become afraid, they panic, they don't stick together anymore, and they scatter in all the different directions. And likewise, Jesus uses this analogy to talk about himself and his sheep. When Jesus is arrested and crucified, what will disciples do? They'll be scandalized. They'll be offended. They will flee. All will be made to stumble, says Jesus, because of me. What kind of leader is this that you want to follow? A leader whose image is one of weakness, blood, death. It looks really so hopeless here. What's going through the minds of the disciples? We can only imagine. We don't know. Looks dark. And sometimes I think for the church too, things can look so hopeless and dark. And then we start hanging on a, on a certain man. And we start putting faith in a certain man as if he is going to save the world. But we want a man that's of a celebrity kind, right? We live in a celebrity culture. One that is very showy, one very glitzy, one that has a lot of drawing power. Not the gospel. That is not the gospel. That's not Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the true leader. He's the true shepherd. And you know what? Nothing else is going to save the church except for Christ, the true shepherd, and his message. His message alone has that drawing power, or people are scandalized by it. It says, I don't want this kind of shepherd. There's one of, always one of two responses. 
in our Lord Jesus, he sees that his own disciples will be scandalized. How his heart must be broken. But you know what is so neat here? He foreknows their weaknesses. He sees the failures of the disciples. He knew that even before he chose them. <laughs> he chose them. This did not stop Jesus from choosing his disciples and saying, come, follow me. And they left all to follow him. This did not stop Jesus from allowing him to, to live with them, to commune with them, to sing with them, to fellowship with them. This does not stop Jesus from earnestly teaching them and from loving them. And all this, knowing that he knew perfectly well what they were going to do to him. They would be offended by him. And from this we can see, too, Jesus knows his disciples in themselves have no life. No life in ourselves. And that's why he needs to lay down his life for his disciples, because that's the only way that they will join his flock, be gathered to his flock, is by him laying down his life. You know, it's great comfort for us here, isn't there? The Lord Jesus does not desert you because of your weaknesses, your sinful weaknesses. You see that here. <laughs> he, he doesn't abandon you because of your sinful weaknesses, because of your sinful failures, of your imperfections. We have to acknowledge we have them. We are. Apart from the grace of God, we would just fall away from the church. We would fall away from Christ. Christ knows that. That's why he went to the cross. That's precisely why he went to the cross. To die for your sins and give you the life so that he would no longer be a stumbling block, a scandal. And you know, this is the power of God's grace and those whom he has chosen, they will come and be gathered to him. You know, it's for this reason God struck the shepherd because of his love for us, his grace. Christ takes his disciples. You know, as a husband takes his wife with all her blemishes, with all her defects. Ephesians 5 talks about that. And being joined to him by faith, likewise, Jesus will never push you away. Husbands will do that. They will put their wives away, but not Jesus. Never. He will never put away his bride. He knows his sheep. They easily get lost. They're easily straying, erring, weak, frail. And yet he loves them. He reaches out to them. Their sins will not keep him from coming to them. His, our sins will not keep him from coming to us. He will do what it takes, even to the point of laying down his life in order to bring us back, to bring his sheep into his flock. Isn't that a true shepherd? 
That's a true shepherd. One who's willing to sacrifice his life for others. Maybe you've heard the saying, and this is very true, the church is not a museum for the saints. What's the church? It's a hospital. It's a hospital for sinners. It's exactly what it is. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He didn't say, well, first get out of your sin. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Psalm 147, he not only died for us, but what else did he do? He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up the wounded. In Ezekiel we read, where we see it fulfilled in Christ, I will seek what was lost. I will bring back what was driven away. I will bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. Ezekiel 34, 16. That's a true shepherd. That's the one side. But neither should you think that you're so strong and that you're so spiritual or that you have so much faith. That was Peter's sin. Boy, he was confident in himself. He thought he was quite something. I mean, wasn't he the representative of his disciples? Wasn't he the kind of man that people could easily put their faith and trust in? He says to Jesus in verse 29, even if all are made to stumble, me? <laughs> no, not me. Jesus, you know what kind of man I am. Look at me. I won't be the one. Not me, he says. Oh, no, no. And you notice what he does? He sets himself above all the others. He says, they? Yeah, but me? I'm sort of exempt from this. I'm sort of in a separate class. And Jesus says, Peter, you sinful man. You don't see. You don't know yourself. I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And you know, Peter, how he comes back? He doesn't, he doesn't bend down on the ground before Jesus, bow down before him and say, Lord, forgive me for my arrogance and my pride. No, we read that with vehemence, even more vehemence, almost to the point of swearing. If I have to die with you, Lord, I will not deny you. And that, of course, raises the question, can he really not die with Jesus to provide redemption for us? So not just Jesus on the cross, but can we say Jesus and Peter together? Because, boy, Peter is quite the guy. He's quite the leader. <laughs> and, you know, maybe we say Jesus and Peter together on the cross. How about that? No. No. Is Peter's blood able to save himself? No. And save us? Peter does not know himself. How many people in the church don't know themselves? Because, and you see that with the perception of one being better than the rest. Paul warns about that again and again. Peter shows he doesn't know himself. He has a high opinion of himself. 
And I think sometimes it's easy for us to fall into that trap. We see somebody fall hard and say, what a stupid person. I would never do that. Be careful, says Jesus. Be careful. If you were in that same situation as that person was, you would experience the exact same battles and the very hard way that that battle comes to that person. It would be no different for you or me. Oh, it's easy to say at the time when you're not in that person's shoes. God reminds us in Galatians 6 verse 1, right? He says, brothers, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, it could be any trespass, it could be some of the most horrible sins. He says, you who are spiritual, if you're really spiritual, you'll go to that person and you try to win him back to Christ. Again, not with a spirit of harshness, but with a spirit of gentleness. And then it says here, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Sometimes the Lord humbles us. How? By making us fall and making us fall hard. That's what he was saying to Peter here. Peter, because you think about this for yourself, this is what's going to happen to you. And that happens in our lives too on occasion, right? The Lord makes us fall, fall hard. And there's a sense of shame that comes with that. And he does this not because he hates us or because he wants to punish us, but because he loves us. And in his grace, he wants us to know ourselves and to see our own need for Jesus, to make us see our need for the cross. And that's what he's doing here with Peter and the other disciples too. You need the cross. You need to say how sinful you are. How sinful are you? It's so You're so sinful. The ugliness of your sin is so great that it took this, it took Christ on the cross to forgive it. His disciples, especially Peter, learned of Christ's love and forgiveness the hard way, didn't he? Right? How he broke down and he realized. And as Jesus says in Mark 13, and he so here too, he teaches them to watch. Watch. Watch for yourself. Pray also for his grace. You know, this past week I received a testimony of a man who was in critical care and he was unconscious for many, many days. It was from COVID. It was on a ventilator. Not an old man. The Lord spared his life. And after sharing his thanks for many who prayed for him, he writes, it seems like God has confronted me and challenged me to become a more broken pastor and professor. This was a pastor and professor. Being hit on the hip by him. You know what the hip refers to? When the Lord wrestled with Jacob and put his hip out of joint. Well, that's what the Lord did to me, he said. And I hope by this, by his grace, to bring new honor to his name because of this experience. And then he says, I find these words of Matthew Henry so beautiful. His words on Psalm 118, verse 17 and 18, describing my situation. He says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. Peter thought it was not possible 
that he could ever deny his Lord. You think it's possible for any one of us here to, to deny him? Oh, yes. Anybody, anyone can deny him apart from his grace. As a matter of fact, we all would if his grace didn't hold us. You know, the other disciples, oh, they, didn't want think, they didn't want Peter to think that they, he was more spiritual than them. Oh, we're just as spiritual as you, Peter. We won't deny him either. See verse 31? They all said likewise. In less than 12 hours, less than 12 hours, all forsook him, fled, deserted Jesus. And you see, what's left of the church here? Where's the glory? Blood, death, scattering. No more followers. The church is going to flee from him. And Jesus all alone. The solo shepherd. No sheep around him anymore. And yet, Jesus will still go to the cross. Even after all his sheep have scattered. He will still go to the cross alone. Be willing to be forsaken by God. Smitten by him. His flesh torn. Blood speaking, uh, spilling from his side. In order to die in your place. To save you from your sins. And to give you life. The message Christ crucified is the glory. Simple as that. And it's this message, which we see by the eyes of faith, that is the glory. But for those who do not believe, it's a scandal. And they run. It has two opposite effects. But notice here, Jesus dies in order to gather his sheep. Not all are his sheep. But all who are his sheep he will gather. He not only gives them life, but he will gather into his fold. There's two things here. The one is the fruit of the other. The gathering is the fruit of the, the new life. And that brings us to our second and final point. He will gather his sheep. They scatter, but he will gather. It's all him and his grace alone. Look at verse 28. After I've been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. It's a promise that Jesus gave here. He spoke plainly here of his resurrection. And yet in the midst of all the hopelessness and pride and arrogance among his disciples, in the midst of their lostness and despair, Jesus offers the hope of his resurrection, his life and the gathering into his house. Why didn't Peter hear these words of hope from Christ? Didn't he hear them? Sometimes we have selective hearing. Peter didn't hear those words. The others didn't either. All they were focusing on was those first words of Jesus. You'll be scandalized because of me. They didn't hear these other words. Peter was so focused on the first words about Jesus, about their stumbling, he didn't, he didn't hear the promise anymore. He failed to see the promise. And so what happens when we fail to see the promise? When we no longer by faith see the promises of God? What happens? We look down, we look within, and all we see is darkness 
and death and unbelief. And that's what took hold of their hearts. They didn't hear the promise. They didn't see the promise. What was the promise? The hope of the resurrection. Boy, isn't this a message the church needs to hear today? The hope of the resurrection. That's the only place where we find life. You're not going to find it in your home. You're not going to find it in your job. You're not going to find it anywhere in the world. You're not going to find it in your family. You'll find it in the one who laid down his life through a bloody death. That kind of leader that nobody wants. But that kind of leader who laid down his life and he will bring in his sheep and he will gather them. Wow. Sometimes the church too. What happens when we don't focus on the hope of the resurrection? Everything begins to look dark. We panic. We get afraid. We become bitter. We become arrogant. We, we start falling. We start fighting. And sometimes the church seems so small, so powerless. And you notice that in those times too, when we feel that way, and we don't look at the promise of Christ and the hope of the resurrection, people start following leaders. They start finding saviors in these so-called big crusaders. They put their faith in men who often fall. Look at Rabbi Zacharias. People put their faith in him. And now you begin to see his life was a sham. His life was a sham. Woe be to us if we put our faith and put a lot of stock in one person. It takes away from the glory of Christ. It's Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. The hope of the resurrection. That's the glory of the message. Scandalized by many. Many people can't stand it. They don't want to hear it because it makes them look bad. And they are bad. Everybody's bad. Everyone's a sinner. They need to come to Christ for life. He's the hope of the resurrection. He's risen from the dead. This is what Christ is saying to them. And you see verse 20 is so full of hope that I mean, you can put an asterisk by that verse. You know, this is all before it happens. He says, and I will go before you into Galilee. <laughs> After they're scattered, he says, I will go before you. In other words, you're going to come and you're going to meet me. I will restore you. He promised to go ahead of them in Galilee and meet them. By the power of his resurrection and life. It's only because of the resurrection, because Christ is raised to life, that Peter will be brought to repentance. Notice that? He's really brought to repentance after Christ is risen from the dead and brought back into the fold. Peter, do you love me? Or do you know I love you? Right? It's only because of his resurrection. It's because of his resurrection, he will draw, he will give life, not only give life, but he will gather into his flock. If you look at Mark 16, 7, the angel even reminds him of the promise. Do you remember what Jesus said to you back here in Mark 14? You go, he said to the women who saw him risen from the dead. He says to them, you go and tell the disciples. He's going before you into Galilee, and there you're going to see him. 
just as he said to you. And that's where he said it was over here. The Sea of Galilee. What happened at the Sea of Galilee? That's where his disciples were called. That's where they followed him. And now at the Sea of Galilee again, he will gather them, restore them. He's the shepherd. And he will use them to gather his people from the ends of the earth until the end of time. It's through the word, through this message, the message of Christ crucified, the one who shed his blood, the one who rose again from the dead. It's through this message that Jesus comes to the world today, offering the message of forgiveness and life to all who believe on him. This is it. This is what life is all about. That's the center. And out of that, we may live our lives for him. Today, the true shepherd continues to gather scattered sinners into his flock through the gospel. The gathering of his people as believers gathered into the flock as a witness to the power of Christ's resurrection, a praying people, a singing people, a joyful people, a listening people. He is the shepherd for broken people. He is the shepherd for spiritually sick people. He's the one who brings us into his hospital. In closing, I want to address a real danger facing our churches today in light of the current crisis. And that's the danger of falling away from Jesus and from the church. It's happening. There's a scattering. With lockdowns, with current restrictions of 10 people, let's not kid ourselves. The devil is hard at work to tear people away from Christ. And that means also away from the body of Christ. It hurts. It hurts being pulled apart. It hurts when we're not all able to meet together to worship because the very gathering is the evidence, is the proof of the risen Christ who not only gives us life, but brings his people together. Is he offensive to you to come together? Are you scandalized by him? We see, you know, over the years, the powerful work of Christ in our congregation. The risen Christ at work by his spirit. Beautiful to see. We have so much to be thankful for. There's so much to see how he has and continues to draw his people as a family in Christ. But at the same time, even as he's healing the brokenhearted in the presence of his people, he heals the brokenhearted through his word. He binds up their wounds. At the same time, the Lord, it seems, is refining us. He's testing our faith as churches. Also for us here as a congregation, you hear it all over. Will some of you fall away? 
pray not. It's horrible. Will you resist the gathering work of a risen Savior? The one who gave his life, the one who gives you life, the one who gathers you, you'll just say, I don't need you. Oh, don't embrace death. Oh, I know the temptations, the excuses can easily become stronger and stronger as time passes by. Right? The longer, you know, the churches are closed, the longer the restrictions are there, the easier it is to say, I don't need this church. That's not what Jesus says. You're saying you don't need his healing work in your life? You're just saying you don't have wounds to be bound? Don't reject him. There's no reason to reject him. He's risen from the dead. We don't live in the days of the disciples. He has risen from the dead. He has conquered sin, death, and hell. And by his spirit, he gives us the strength to overcome all those obstacles, whatever those obstacles may be, because he is worthy of our praise and glory. Yes, Christ, he knows our sins. He knows our failings. He knows our weaknesses. He knows your fears. But he doesn't want you to stay there. He calls you to go to the cross with all your unbelief, with all your sins, with all your excuses, and to leave them at the cross. No more excuses. Turn to him. The resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Embrace him. Embracing him by faith means you receive the life and the fruit of that life, the gathering, These are the only bright spots in our nation today is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to be in any temple, not in any Gurdwara, not in any other place of worship. It's only the church where you see the fruit of the gathering of the living Christ, the one who's risen from the dead. There is no other place like it. This is the only bright spot, the only hope for our nation today. The power of his life is seen in our new life. The power of his life is seen in the gathering of his people. That's what he came to do, is gather his people into his house. His word not only gives life, but gathers the sheep and brings them to his flock. One final sentence, two sentences. God will strike all those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with death, eternal death. That's what he says in the gospel, John 3, 36. But he will not strike Christ because Christ was already struck. He will not strike Christ or his church, that is, for all who believe on him for salvation. God struck him to give life to all who believe on him. And he gives life forevermore. And it's done with him. We can sing the hymn. We can sing the hymn.
a song. There's a song of victory, even today. Wow, let's enjoy the gathering. Christ loves the praises of his people. Today's Valentine's Day. He loves it when his bride comes to him and rejoices in him and loves him. And heaven will be one blessed gathering with him forever and ever and ever and ever. And here is the taste of it. To God be the glory. Amen.